Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, September 9th. We begin with a look at the return to school and news of COVID-19 cases in several schools across the province. We get reaction from NDP education critic Sarah Hoffman. Are you looking for extracurricular activities for your child? While they may look different during the pandemic, there are still options. We catch up with Ellen Percival of Calgary's Child Magazine for some suggestions. We have seen alarming increases in unemployment, lowered incomes and increasing costs during the pandemic. We hear from the Executive Director of Vibrant Communities Calgary on why the organization is pushing for a universal basic income for all Canadians. And finally, skiers and snowboarders are excited with news the hills will be up and running this year with COVID protocols in place. We speak with Dan Markham from Lake Louise Ski Resort on what we can expect ahead of the new season. Well, fear and frustration are growing in Calgary schools as uh, parents, students and staff are sharing online posts about an increasing number of positive COVID-19 cases that are popping up. NDP education critic Sarah Hoffman is joining us now to talk about the COVID situation in Alberta schools. Good morning, Sarah. Hi, Sue. Thanks so much for joining us. Your thoughts on the number of cases and the government's response at this point? Yeah, I think that government will be wise to err on the side of oversharing uh, right now. I think the fact that they uh, aren't going uh, public and we're learning about it through the news or through social media, anytime there's uh, a notice that goes home to parents from a school, I don't think is the best move. I think parents want as much information as possible so that they can continue to feel confident in the decisions that they're making for themselves and for their, their children and their families. And... Uh, my last count, just by going through uh, some of the posts that have been uh, made online trying to track this, is you know over 30 different connections to schools in, in less than a week, really. So um, I think the government would be wise to do daily updates and share that information on a centralized website that everyone feels confident in so parents don't feel like they have to do the, the notifying of one or another, which is how it seems to be right now. The notifications aside, uh, Sarah, what... what should be done at this point with uh, seeing these cases on the increase a handful days a handful of days into the new year yeah so uh, we came out with a report back in july and really that my main message to your listeners and to to the government in particular is it's not too late to act um i know that we're starting to see uh cases in schools and that makes all of us uh rightfully uh, a bit anxious about how this is going to continue um but one of the biggest recommendations that we have in our report and what seems to be most effective uh, internationally where they've reopened and then had to close and then reopened again is capping class sizes at something reasonable. We're proposing 15 students to ensure that we have that two meter of physical distancing, which seems to be one of the greatest ways to slow the spread. It seems the biggest you know, counter to that, though, would be coming from the boards and from the province saying, well, we simply don't have the space, nor do we have the money to hire teachers to try and reduce the number of kids that are in class sizes. So how do you, how do you think that that could be accomplished? Yeah, so I've uh, talked to a number of different uh, school staff who've said that since students have gone online, that a number of classrooms in existing schools have stopped being used. Uh, for example, if your school's down 20% in enrollment, often they're looking at uh, amalgamating classes, doing doing combined grades, and then leaving some classroom space empty. That doesn't seem uh, like the best use of that classroom space right now. But of course, they need to hire the staff to put in those spaces. So our recommendation is to, number one, start with rehiring the more than 20,000 
educational staff who were laid off at the beginning of the pandemic. Many of those have reached out to us and said they still don't have jobs, even though they were promised uh, by Adrian Ollergrange and Jason Kenney that they'd be hired back. And, you know, I've lived in Alberta my whole life. Uh, I was trained as a teacher. My parents were teachers. I've never seen us experience a teacher shortage in the province of Alberta. And if we did, let's deal with that problem then. But there are thousands of teachers out there who are willing to step up if they had uh, a contract they were being offered and if they had reasonable work conditions and and, uh, opportunities to keep themselves and their families safe too. And uh, I would like to see the government at least try instead of continuing to make excuses. Sarah Hoffman with us, NDP education critic. And Sarah, obviously, your job is to, to be critical and to look at these things. We got a text in here, and I wonder what your reaction will be to this. A question for Sarah Hoffman in regards to class sizes. Why didn't the NDP have the class sizes down to 15 while they were running the government? Based on their constant discussion on this, I'm guessing it must be an easy accomplishment. I think that's sarcastic, uh, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so we definitely were uh, at that time in the biggest uh, downturn economically in a generation, but we still made our priority to fund uh, student enrollment, uh, which is different than what this government's done. We also brought in the Classroom Improvement Fund, and as a result, uh, thousands of teachers were hired across Alberta. Um, at that time, uh, obviously, uh, we, we cared about class sizes, but right now it's more important than ever because we know that not only is this about student learning, this is uh, about student safety and well-being and all of the recommendations to date from the chief medical officer here locally and and uh, nationally as well have been around physical distancing right now it is absolutely crucial that we give kids enough space to slow the spread uh, of COVID-19 and that we make sure that we're protecting the staff and, and the families that everyone goes home to at the end of the day. So right now, class size is more important than ever. And that's one of the reasons why we're pushing this so hard. In a perfect world, if the UCP would do what you asked of them, what would happen right now as we start to see the number of COVID cases climbing and we're not even a week into the start of school? Yeah, um, I think we... Uh, see our, our 15 recommendations uh, implemented, which, uh, you know, being oppositional is one thing, and that is in our title and our responsibilities, but also being propositional. We really do want school to go well this year. We want parents to be able to uh, send their kids to school on the bus or drop them off and have confidence they'll come home safe. So uh, funding our plan would be recommendation number one. I know the federal government stepped up with about a quarter of what our plan would cost to be implemented. Um which is which is great, but uh, the province at the same time has actually moved forward with with cuts and and uh, seen the amount of money individual students get as a result negatively impacted. So putting the resources into the hands of the local decision makers to be able to act on our recommendations and keep kids safer and more spread out, I would say, needs to be the top priority right now. What in your mind is the tipping point, Sarah, that we switch the model that we've gone with? the UCB uh, government has gone with and and changed things up, whether it's a hybrid or go back to the online? Yeah, this is a really tough one for me because I care so much about uh, about school and about having kids get a great opportunity to learn. So I still don't think it's too late to get scenario one right. But this government needs to act incredibly quickly to be able to make that happen because uh, 
not only is this good for student learning and for for uh, all the educators who work in schools and want to support students in learning, but this is so important for our economy too. We we know what happens by looking around the world and, and reflecting on our own experience back in March when schools have to close. And for those parents who were so keen to get their kids back to school and are already in a situation where their classes had to be canceled, their, their children are isolating for 14 days. We know that's got a negative impact on their families' uh, well-being uh, health-wise. Obviously, there's a lot of angst that comes with that and potentially COVID, uh, but also uh, economically and socially. So, so I, I still believe uh, we can get this right, but the government needs to act immediately to implement these 15 recommendations. We appreciate your time this morning, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's Sarah Hoffman, NDP official opposition critic for education. 717 helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Come visit the largest concrete-built condos in the city. couple of things to watch out for on the west side of the city this morning. Traffic's down to a single lane in both directions between the Trans-Canada Highway or between uh, Valley Ridge Boulevard and Obev Coach Road. And also watch for Glenmore Trail to be down to a single lane eastbound as you approach 37th Street for ongoing construction. Well, football, the zone has more live football than anyone else. Exclusive Premier League, exclusive UEFA Champions League, all the NFL. Well, according to the National Center for Education Statistics, extracurricular activities boost kids' community connections and are linked to better grades and school attendance. But sometimes finding the right fit for your child's not always easy. So, with some suggestions, we're joined this morning by Ellen Percival of Calgary's Child Magazine. Morning, Ellen. Good morning. Glad to talk to you. Uh, you know, it's a crazy time, obviously, but there are still lots of things going on. So, extracurricular activities, I know, is something you focused on in the latest edition of Calgary. Calgary's Child. We did, and once again, we're, we're seeing wonderful program providers in the city responding to parents' concerns about safety and their health, but also getting out there and having fun, socializing, and so we see some great classes, and I expect we'll see more and more as um, these providers respond to distance learning and uh, homeschooling kids that need those extracurriculars. So I'm expecting that we're going to see quite a few of those popping up during daytime hours to help accommodate these new schedules. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing a lot of music and Mm -hmm. dance and pretty much anything, the arts. Um, We've got choirs that have modified to do some um, online and some in person. So there's a really nice mix here, regardless of what your child is into Um, There is something there definitely that will get them um, excited and get them busy and and get that socialization time. Um, So there's lots lots to do in the city. We we have an amazing city for that. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk before we get into perhaps some of the uh, opportunities available, specific or or, uh, different areas you can put uh, people Mm -hmm. in touch with or push them toward. Finding out what your kid, if, if it's the first time doing something, maybe they're in elementary school and you say, oh, why don't you do something besides school? How do you choose a good fit for your kid? Because there's so many different <laughs> options and you want them to stick with it, particularly if you're spending your hard-earned uh, cash. Exactly. I would start with a smaller commitment, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> not maybe, a two-year program? <laughs> maybe not that to start with. Um, I, I love the kind of potpourri, that's what we call them, kind of. Um, many opportunities, and, and we see that in camp, Andrew, as we've talked about mm-hmm. before, the little bit of dance, little bit of drama, a little bit of music, some gymnastics. So I think you want to start exposing, the, exposing them to sort of smaller six- to eight-week programs or drop-in programs 
and see where they're naturally gravitating to. Uh, that's really important that you really, I always say start with your kids. Talk to them about their interests. Look at your budget. Mm-hmm. Also important. Mm-hmm. Look at the time that you have available. If you're signing them up for a lot of practice time or parent volunteer time, you're going to want to know that at, at, at the beginning, what your commitment is. And then you go from there and you start your search. And we've got lots of class and programs on our website. And, and there's websites, you know, of course, off of those that you can go and check them out, uh, ask questions, look at pricing. Um, so there's, there's a lot of information here to start your journey. And we've hopefully sorted it all out for you in types of programs and a little more user-friendly. There's, there's descriptions of each of the classes so that it gives you a little bit more of an idea. I love it. You really break it down and make it easy. And if folks go on the website too, calgaryschild.com, lots of different uh, parts of information there for what you're talking about in terms of you know extracurricular. But then I just clicked on a link, 115 things to do with your kids in and around Calgary. So Whoa. especially those that are maybe homeschooling or, or not, doesn't really matter, but all kinds of great ideas of things you can go and see and do. And yes, some of them might be online this year and a little different but there are so many options we do live in a great city don't we we really do Uh, honestly in the 26 years that we've been publishing calgary's child it's amazing this community there are so many opportunities they're all so dedicated and committed to making sure that your kids have a wonderful experience and have those great memories to look back on and honestly you can do anything in the city it's amazing um, there's so many choices, whether you have a baker or a programmer. There's everything mm-hmm. in between. There really is something for everyone. And, and again, they're really, really paying attention to parents' concerns mm-hmm. about, and everyone's concerns, of course, about um, safe distancing and safety and their health. So I think that you can rest assured that they really, really are taking that seriously and that your kids will have a safe environment and a, a fun time well it's a different time but uh, you certainly want to keep the kids busy they might learn something along the way and make some new friends thank you so much ellen you're so welcome that is ellen percival of calgary's child magazine and as sue mentioned lots of resources lots of different options at calgaryschild.com Six forty-seven helicopter traffic time for west district by truman a community connected to its city on the morning news in the middle of a pandemic we're seeing alarming increases to unemployment lowered incomes and increasing costs this is why vibrant communities calgary is fighting for a so-called basic income 
to discuss the concept. We are joined by Executive Director of Vibrant Communities Calgary, Megan Reed. Good morning to you, Megan. Good morning. Can you first of all explain the concept of basic income? How would you define it? Absolutely. So um, at a very basic level, um, a basic income is a payment sent from the government to all people to help them meet their basic needs like food and shelter. Um, And more importantly, um, this payment will give people a lot of choice and freedom to, to dictate how they want to improve their lives. And Megan, how do you find that dollar amount? Where you set it at? How do you make that decision? Because, you know, what you need here in Calgary would be different from what you need in, say, Toronto. Absolutely. And I think that that is something that, um, you know, would, would come out in a design phase. We've seen a lot of um, we've seen a lot of success with, with the number attached to CERB, um, but it would look different regionally depending on what people's needs are. I think the, the more important thing, though, is that it would create a baseline for everybody in the country where they could have um, choice, where they could help the economy recover, um, and, and which really makes our, all of our communities across the country uh, vibrant and healthy. So, Megan, if I have a job and let's say we let's just uh, for argument's sake, say we set that level basic at 2000 and I make 1600 a month, would it be a case that I would get topped up or would I get the full amount? And and what if I made over 2000? Am I not eligible? How does something like that work? Yeah, it's uh, I mean, those are those are great questions. Um, It would set certainly a baseline that absolutely everybody would receive. Um, So it would be set at a level that provides for that decent lifestyle and enables full participation in the community. Um, What what that baseline level is, is pretty important because it will dictate, um, you know, what we know are covering essential needs for Albertans, for example. Um, The idea would be that uh, it wouldn't affect current wages that are made by your that you make from your employer. And in fact, what we know through pilot studies where this has been done before is that it actually really um, creates an employment and job economy that is better for workers overall. Explain how that would work. How, how does it help an economy recover, for example? Mm-hmm. So what we know in Alberta is that we are now, particularly as we go through the pandemic in some pretty um, significant crisis. So we have the highest rates of mortgage deferrals in the country or the highest per capita users of CERB in the country um, and that poverty even before this was already costing us almost 9.5 billion dollars annually. So putting that money into the pockets of Canadians, of Albertans, of Calgarians uh, gives them the choice to be able to um, purchase from our local economy, to be able to be in the market in a different way. Um, and, and we know that, you know, we're not alone in that feeling that Albertans feel that we need this. Over 60% of Albertans already support this idea, both for our recovery and long term. Megan, the million dollar question attached mm. to this is where do the billions of dollars come from to give a universal or basic income to those Canadians, those working Canadians? Mm. It's a great question. And I would, I would ask the same question about where the billions are coming from now. Um, to so, so are most people. people in poverty. Yeah. <laughs> but already we know that poverty in our province is costing almost $10 billion annually. Um, and that pulls on our healthcare system, on our justice system, on affordable housing systems. So we're already spending that money. What we're saying is let's spend that in a really different way and uh, improve the lives of, all, lives of all Albertans. Well, it's a discussion that's getting a lot of traction of late. So thank you so much for breaking it down for us. Appreciate your time.
Thank you so much. That's Megan Reed, Executive Director of Vibrant Communities Calgary. So your thoughts on a, uh, you know, a basic universal income. Text line's open. Already had a few coming in. People are wondering if unicorns <laughs> deliver that money. But 403-974-8255, there are a lot of people who do believe in the concept. And I'm still a little unclear of what Megan said there. Uh, if I make $2,000 a month already and the basic income is set at sixteen. From what she said, I would still get the sixteen. It sounds like sixteen hundred a month. I'm, I'm I'm super unclear with that because if I don't need the money, I don't need the money. Mm-hmm. Just like serve, just like serve. Yeah, I have a job. Um, it's it's I I shake my head because technically, great. N- nobody is going without. Uh, as but as a, in a perfect world, who's bankrolling that would this? be the way That's it the would be, part. right? But yeah, you're right. I mean, we're all wondering right now where's all this money going to come from? How how are we going to pay down this massive debt we have? Would this concept work? Curious. If you're if you're for it, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got other thoughts as well, <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. Again, that text line, 974-8255. Right now, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Life happens at hellowestdistrict.com. Well, we are making our way into the northeast part of the city. We're getting reports that a vehicle has gone into a building on 52nd Street near Temple Drive. So just south of McKnight Boulevard. From our vantage point, we can't quite get eyes on a lot. There's a lot of trees in this neighborhood. So we're going to get closer and then give you that update for the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, from our vantage point here, we can take a look at Deerfoot Trail. We are seeing those northbound lanes still pretty pretty busy from at least Douglasdale Boulevard up towards Southland Drive. And then again, as you make your way towards the Castro Bridge, that sun is a little bit too bright this morning. So northbound drivers are slowing down for that. We also have an incident on westbound 17th Avenue just west of Deerfoot Trail. Looks like a right lane closure. Um, backups are stretching just past Deerfoot here, so it'll be an extra couple of minutes to get through. And then on the northeast end of Deerfoot, we're still seeing those uh, delays as you approach Memorial Drive. Starting Thursday, get an additional 30 PCOP known points per liter at SOM Mobile Station. Load the offer. Details available September 10th to 13th on your mobile opti- or on your PC Optimum app or at PCOptimum.ca. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. Well, the ski season is a go with a few tweaks, thanks to COVID. We're checking in this morning with Dan Markham, Director of Brand and Communications at Lake Louise Ski Resorts, and get to get some details on what we can expect. Hi, Dan. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. I'm excited. Not going to lie, I'm excited for ski season, but let's keep the snow in the mountains, which is my <laughs> kind of my first question. How much did you guys get last weekend? Well, we certainly got enough to cover the upper half of the mountain for uh, at least a good portion of the day, and then sun came out and sort of going back to fall again. Okay, well, that's good news. We're not quite, quite ready yet. But let's start with some of the new rules and what's expected on the hills and and beginning with face coverings. Can you break down that for us? Sure. So, I mean, we've had an opportunity being open this summer to sort of get a sense of how the uh, COVID protocols could work. Um, So we've refined things quite well, and hopefully we'll carry those into the winter. We've found that in areas where we cannot maintain uh, physical distancing, face masks will become mandatory. But we do feel uh, when you're on the mountain, obviously you should be fine. We have 4,200 acres of skiable terrain, so there's more than enough space to physically distance. But on those occasions, <clears throat> say a busy Saturday morning with, after a big snowfall, when you've got a lineup 
will, will require people when they're in the lines to wear uh, face masks. And should they choose to get on a lift with someone who's not in their own party, then face masks will again be required. We have set the lodges up uh, predominantly to be uh, set, um, 50% capacity from previous years. Um, we've worked many of the numbers to determine what kind of space we need to be able to achieve that. Uh, the summer's been good practice again for that. And um, that's where face masks will be required should, uh, you know, we have a, a peak time for traffic. But otherwise, we hope that the inside of the lodges uh, will be spaced well enough. And for those times when we can't, we've worked with Parks Canada to arrange for heated outside tents. So folks that will be coming to the mountains say, you know, brown bagging it, that's mm-hmm. going to be the place for them. Okay. Outside tents and perhaps maybe some outside uh, facilities or washrooms as well? Absolutely. We're well used to that with World Cup when we had it every year. Uh, this year we don't have World Cup, unfortunately, but understandably. Um, but outside facilities for bathrooms, whether they're the traditional porta-potties or we're looking at bringing in some of those sort of higher-end trailer uh, bathroom setups. Dan, I want to go back to the uh, the chairlifts themselves and, and how that's going to look in terms of how many people will be on the lift. If you're wearing your face mask, is it still going to be a full ride? Uh, well, if you're on your own group, then yes, you can get onto the chairlift, fill it up, and into the uh, into the gondolas. We're going to be setting up our lines. Now, we're still working some of this stuff out, but we're going to be setting up our lines that if you really do want to be by yourself uh, on a lift, you can go into a separate line. You probably have to wait a little longer. And again, remember, this is only on those few days a year when we start to get lineups, and that's usually our holiday weekends and mm-hmm. Big, big snow weekends is when that mostly happens. Most of the time, you can usually ski right up to the lifts and get a chair to yourself or with your group. But if that's the case, you will need to wear a face mask. Still looking at end of October? Uh, that's going to depend on Mother Nature. Yeah. Um, it certainly seems cold enough at altitude. Okay. <laughs> this keeps up. But usually, we, we usually have the doors open by the first Friday of November for sure. And we can buy our passes now? You can buy your passes. They're on sale until October 15th, so the best prices for your passes are now. Uh, We have not risen the prices for passes or lift tickets this season, so I think uh, it's a great opportunity. Definitely buy them before the October 15th deadline. Um, As well, this year we've also got the addition of 480 acres of new skiable side country terrain with the opening of West Bowl. And that will all be serviced with the new Summit chairlift, which will be replacing the old 40-year-old Palma lift. Awesome. A lot of people chomping at the bit. Thanks Mm -hmm. so much for your time this morning, Dan. Not a problem. You guys have a great day. You too. That is Dan Markham, Director of Brand and Communications at Lake Louise Ski Resort. More online at skilouise.com.